You're listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. Feels right, doesn't it? As we come into a time to look into the Word of God, um, I just want to remind you, like, there's a holiness to that. And so we, in prayer, we, 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 we you know, speak, we lay our hearts open before the Lord, right? A lot of times with more honesty than we have with anybody else on the planet. But we'll say it to him, Right? And then the word of God, like the, the, the scriptures, this holy scripture, breathed out by God, we get to hear from him. Some like new revelation or something. It's like he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So the person of God be, can be equipped for every good work. And so as we come into the word, like I, I'm sitting over there like thinking, I'm like, I mean, how does, how does, how does the time, like we're, this passage that we've prepared to look at this morning, does that, does that integrate with what God's doing with us this, this morning? I think it does. Because as a people that are gathered together to, to pray, to, like, to seek his face, first individually and then collectively together, like, to get, like this is what we are asking of you as we draw near together before you. If there's no outflow of that, we've missed it. I think for, um, I think, Generations, the church has been tricked, uh, duped um, into thinking uh, and, a, and a belief, even like, like, like holding it high, like propagating that, that, that faith in Christ is an individual, uh, individualistic thing only. That it's meant to be you and Jesus and that's it and nobody else. Like it's just it's this thing and it's just about you and him and there's like nobody else has to be involved. No, that's just, that's just not true. The church has been tricked into um, forgetting that there's an intent for that faith that is not just for you. That the hope and the peace and the mercy that we find in Jesus, the, the, the forgiveness that we find in, in Jesus, the eternal security like, that we find in Jesus is not just for you. It is not meant to just benefit you. It is. But if it stops there, there's an emptiness to it. There's a purposelessness to it that does not look like the gospel. This is not just for you. The passage we're going to look at this morning is uh, found in uh, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to cover the first 24 verses of that. We're not going to cover all of them in detail because this is the sending of the 72. Now, just a chapter ago, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, we cover the sending of the 12. There's a lot of similarities between these two passages. We're not going to like reduplicate everything we said about the sending of the 12. We're going to look at just a few things with the time that we have. Um, the differences between the sending of the 12 and the sending of the 72. It's 
interesting. It's also incredibly practical. This morning, as the Lord's working in your heart, the Lord's drawing you to himself, I want you to know that's not just for you. I grew up like a lot of you. I grew up around Christianity, and I somehow ended up with this idea that Christianity was this individualistic thing, that my faith with Jesus was just for me and him. No one ever called me, really, encouraged me, trained me, went with me, do anything with it. And if I did, it was, it was like a needs-based thing, like, like helping meet some physical needs, which are a value, but the word of like the gospel was never spoken. It was like, be nice, love Jesus, that's enough. That's not what I see in this passage. As we go through this passage, I, I want you to write down some things. I want you to write down one. I, like, every time you see something that Jesus intends for his followers to do, I want you to write that down. What Jesus intends for his followers to do, like his intention for you and for me. Like what is Jesus intending his followers to do with this faith, with this hope that they found? What does Jesus intend for us to do with that? Second thing, I want you to write down everything that Jesus celebrated. And you start seeing Jesus celebrating in this passage. What, what, what makes Jesus celebrate? All right? And then the last one is, which of those things are you actually doing? You're going to see Jesus intending his followers to do some stuff. Are you doing those things? You're going to see Jesus celebrating some things. Are you involved in the things that Jesus celebrates? What's he intend us to do? What's Jesus celebrate? And are you doing those things? The passage begins in verse 1. It says this. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 other people. Kind of gives the indication that it's in addition to the 12, 72 other people, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. All right, so a chapter ago, just a chapter ago in, in, in Luke's gospel, it was only 12. There were only 12 that were ready to be sent, you know? Like, it's just, it's just the guys, right? And you know that 11 of them are pretty great, one of them is sort of terrible. Anyway, it's all that. There's, there's, the, there's just the 12. But the mission has started to multiply, just in that short period of time, like the mission has started to multiply. I used to think that the apostles at the 12, that they were the only ones that, like they had a special calling, that they were, theirs was higher than mine, for instance. But of course the, the 12 had to go, of course the 12 had to go share the gospel and teach and like do the thing, right? Of course they were sent, they were the 12, right? But like normal people, nah, that's not, that's not normal people stuff. That's just them. Well, where do these other people come from? Because like, what, what seems like has happened is that the 12 have gone and they've done this work. And they've, they've shared the gospel. They've pointed people to Jesus and people have drawn near to Jesus because the 12 went and now there's more people. There's a multiplier effect that's happened. That people were, they were sent out. They came back with more people who were wanting to draw near to Jesus. And having done that, apparently they, they, these, these 72, they've drawn near to Jesus. They've put their faith in Jesus. They've been equipped by Jesus and now they're being sent by Jesus to do the exact same thing the 12 were doing. There's a multiplication effect. That's multiplication round one. 12 to 72 is a 6x multiplier, right? That's the intent. The intent isn't to go and make converts who would say that they believe in a God or even that they believe in Jesus. The intent is to go and make disciple makers. Disciples not finished until they make disciples. That's just, it, there's, no one told me that. 
People told me I was supposed to personally follow Jesus. I was supposed to personally make him my savior. They did not tell me that I wasn't finished until I was doing the work he called me to do. They shortchanged me. I didn't know. So I didn't do it. It's just like all this inflow of Jesus. I'm just going to get to know Jesus more and more. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm getting, but I'm not getting stronger. I'm not maturing. I'm not on what to do with it. This is Jesus' plan. Multiplication round one was a 6x multiplier. You know, in four more rounds, they did 100,000 people? There's four more rounds. 72 going. That 6x hits again, it's 432. Next time, it would have been 2,500. Next time, it would have been 15,000. Next time, it would have been 93,000. You can change the world as disciples make disciple makers. Disciples making individual converts who think that their faith is a consumable to be consumed by them, it's just for them, there's no intent, there's not even rationale to do anything with that, will not change the world and it's not Jesus' mission. I don't know what you're talking about following Jesus if you're not helping other people follow Jesus. By the way, just just you know, side sermon over here, one of the most difficult, this has just had nothing to do with the passage, but one of the most difficult uh, like textual like transmission issues, like if you're wondering, okay, can you trust your Bible? You know, like, like, wasn't it changed over time? How do I know it wasn't changed? We have really incredibly, like, old, early manuscripts. This is one of the most difficult textual issues in the Bible was whether this is 70 or 72. I'm not really sure. All right, we got, we got really early manuscript evidence for both. Can't really figure it out. 70 or 72. That's one of the most difficult textual issues in your Bible. And if that's a giant deal <laughs> to your faith of whether it was 70 or 72, then okay. All right? I just want you to know you can trust your, your Bible. All right, I'm just telling you, this is one of the hardest issues. We don't really know which one's right. The rest of it, we're absolutely certain is right. Okay, like this, this is hard, as bad as it gets. So I'm saying 72. Might be 70. I'm okay with either, right? But the... the The intent was for the 12 to go, make disciple makers, for the new disciple makers to then be sent out to go and do that same work. If you're a Christian, Jesus' intention for you is to be discipled and then make disciples. If you're a disciple who doesn't make disciples, you're not fulfilling Jesus' intention for you. And I'm not saying that's out of obligation or ought to or shame. I'm saying that you're missing out on getting to do the work alongside like other believers that Jesus has set before you. You're like you're missing the entirety of like the point. You're getting to miss all the fruit. You're getting to miss all the goodness. Like you're, you're, you're sidelined in the thing that Jesus invited you into. We don't go and make disciples because we ought to or we should. It's because of this incredible thing that Jesus has done in my life, and I have to go tell somebody else about that. And I don't think anybody's told us that consistently. I think it's one of the unique things about Oaks is because we do talk about that consistently, and so you're actually doing it. People aren't coming to faith in Oaks because I'm an incredible preacher, all right? Like, half of you zoned out. 10 minutes into every sermon I've ever told, but you're growing in Christ because you're walking in community with some other believers, opening the word together, like it's changing you because the disciple makers engaged in your life, and it's not me. The intent is not for Britain to like share the gospel with the masses and like lives to be changed. It's you. 
That's the mission. Listen, you stand in a 2,000-year line of this mission. In this passage, in Luke chapter 10, there's 70 or 72. Like, there's just, you know, there's a handful, all right? Like, that section's like 100. So, not that. And this, that's where we are in the, in the line of multiplication. You stand in that lineage where somebody decided to be a disciple maker, and they made disciples, and it changed some people. And, like, there was a multiplicative effect on that. And then somehow, in the course of history, like, you are the next in line in that mission. Somebody decided to be a disciple maker. And those of you in the room who are Christian, the beneficiaries of that. And, it, it, and the most heartbreaking thing is for that 2,000-year line, that lineage of people being disciple makers to come to a grinding halt with you. May it not be so with me. Church has been duped. I've been tricked into thinking, and I'm, all I'm supposed to do is love Jesus and be nice to people, and that's enough. That's a lie of the enemy to keep you still, to keep you sidelined, to prevent the people that God's placed in your sphere of influence, of hearing the gospel. And not only them, but the people that they're going to be in the sphere of influence of. And the next, how, until Jesus comes, that lineage of people, like I going to stop with me. He's going to stop with you. Jesus, he sends the 72 on ahead of him, right? To everywhere he's about to go. Like they're, they're preparing the way of the Lord, right? It's John the Baptist stuff. They're preparing the way. And it says that he sends them two by two. Why do you think he does that? Just think about it. Like, it's just kind of a little throwaway in the middle of the passage. It's two by two. There's an intention behind that. There's a strategy. Jesus is not just being like, I don't know, just do whatever you want. Best of luck. No, he'd be like, okay, who's your buddy? You know? Hold your buddy's hand. Don't lose your buddy. You know, there's, a, there's an intentional strategy behind that, two by two. You know, one of our core values we talked about in the last series, one of them was we multiply at every level. We've talked about that already. The second one is we do this together. We don't do the mission by ourselves. We're not, not, we're not enough. I'm not enough. You're not enough. Like, we, we do this together. There's an intention of the church. There was a power in the room that when it went from you praying on your own to you praying together for your city, for your campus, for your kids, for your family, right? Like, there was a difference when you began to pray together. The difference in the mission, too. You are far more effective at reaching the world together than you are individually. But when a group of people, a group of believers, would just be faithful to draw together into the banner in the name of Jesus and just do the work that he set before us together, like there is insane, like insane potential to that, that strategy. By the grace of God, a lot of you in the room who are part of Oaks, members of Oaks, like you found some people to run hard in the mission with. You're not doing this alone anymore. There's power in that. Like, there's, there's so many stories of, like, I love the baptism videos we get to watch where somebody's like, hey, like, I, I met this person and they invited me to this group of people and then they invited me to their tribe and I've been spending time with these people and hearing the gospel from this person and that person and I got to thank, like, 16 people for investing in me to get to the point where I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior and, and follow through in baptism. That's this. Who are you running hard with? Who are, you, who are you running hard in the mission alongside because you're not intended to do it alone? If you're out there hoping, wishing that you got to see fruit in your life and see impact, and you're out there trying to do that by yourself, if you're not a part of a community like this or this one, 
jump in. Get those, like lock arms with those other believers alongside you and go and prepare the way of the Lord. Tell that story. Draw people to faith. Support each other. Encourage one another. Like when somebody gets rejected, when something goes down, you've got somebody else to pick you up. You're not meant to do this by yourselves. You're meant to do this in community. You see the very beginnings of that, that first round of multiplication. Jesus doesn't send them out by themselves. He doesn't send you out by yourself either. Sends them to every town and place he's about to go. To the people who hadn't heard, the people who had not met Jesus. Jesus set the mission in the hands of his normal people like you. Before we let him go, he gives them this really strange instruction. Uh, in verse 2, he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's telling the people who are lined up ready to go to pray for people to go. Isn't that a little strange? They're already going. You know, like he's, there's already new people going. So why is he telling the people that are about to go to pray for people to go? Here's what I think that is. I think that, the, <laughs> I think that um, Jesus is standing there in full knowledge of the scale of the mission. He's looking at 72 people. And he has full knowledge of like what this is going to be. He's looking at 72 and he's like, y'all, <laughs> we got to pray. In light of the potential, in light of the lostness, in light of the people that haven't heard yet, like, you gotta, we got to pray. It's, it's interesting that the people on the field um, understand the scale of the work, right? Once you, like, get in the field and you start doing the work, you realize how much there is to do and how much there's need for additional help. If that's not your field, if it's not your thing, you don't know. You don't care. It's just a pretty field. I, I once had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Athens, Greece, way back in 2011, all right? I got some pictures for you. They're adorable. Um, so let's, let's see what we got. We got, we got pictures? Yep. That's Allison in 2011. That's my wife, Jessica, in 2011. You don't know those people, but they're nice. Look at Allison. Is she adorable? Yeah, that's 2011. All right, what else we got? Oh. That's Austin McBride. It's probably like his first like ride on a plane. Isn't it cute? Look at him. These other guys are whatever, but that, that guy, you know, it's good. All right, what else we got? Beep boop. There it is. We got M. Emily looks exactly the same. She hasn't aged at all. Thankfully, Austin has. So that's good. It's good. We got one more? Yeah. So that's Athens. This is Mars Hill. This is the Oropagus, where Paul, um, in like Acts chapter 17, he goes and he reasons with the Greeks, um, people who have never heard the name of Jesus, trying to share the gospel, and it, it didn't really have a lot of effect which is encouraging for me, right? And so we went up on this hill with, we took like 60 teenagers. 
That's a terrible idea, all right, to take 60 teenagers to another country with you. But we did it. We survived. We brought every one of them back. Took 60 people to Athens, just one city. And the first day, we got there, we're jet-lagged, we go up on the Oropagus, Mars Hill, right? And then we're going to have like a little time to, to pray over the city. And we walked out up on this, this rock. You climb all these steps to get all the way up there. You walk out on this rock, it looks just like this, and it's just a cliff overlooking that. Tiny little white house is as far as you can see. And what I knew of Athens was that less than 2% of Athens, Greece, was, were believers, like practicing Christ, following Jesus. And so as I looked out over this, this, this valley of humanity, just one city, I could see the whole thing, though. The weight of the harvest was staggering. We're standing up there. I'm like, bro, we brought 60 people up in this city. Like, well, this is going to be great. We're going to get some work done. Then I walked out on the hill, and I was like, oh, no. You know, we can't do this. We can do the stuff that God's given us and be faithful to that, but this is not something that just a handful of us can do. The scale, like the the scale of the harvest. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the the laborers, (laughs) the laborers are just few. So he says to pray to the people that are there, standing there like on the hill, seeing the city, right? Like you you can see your city, you can see your campus, like the, the people on the field, like get the scale, the vastness of the work to be done. He says, pray. Pray like things change things. Like pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field with you. It's not sending somebody else. I used to think it was somebody else. I'd pray for God to send workers in the harvest. I'm like, go get them, Lord. No, he's like, go, like, Send laborers into the harvest with you. He says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is not the problem. The availability of people, like openness to the gospel, is not the issue. The issue is how few of them are ready to go. He looks at the harvest fields. to the people who are already ready to go. The 72 of them. It should have been this exciting moment. We had 12. There's 72 of us going this time. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We need to pray. As a resident of Tuscaloosa, you see the scale, right? Are you praying for more laborers across our city, your neighborhood, your campus, and your high school? Are you praying for more laborers to come alongside with you even as you go? As we gather together and pray, I mean, I heard some of you praying, like praying those type prayers. Like, Lord, as we're going, give us open hearts. As we bring more people into the, into the harvest with us to, to go. Like, Lord, let's go. I just wanted you to recognize the scale of the harvest that is set before you in this city. Every day at 10.02, my alarm goes off. I went off this morning at 10.02. And it reminds me to pray Luke 10 to. So every day, me and there's, a, there's actually a lot of us. It's kind of funny. We sit and sometimes we're gathered together, some Oaks people. And at 10.02, all of our phones start going nuts. We stop and we pray. Sometimes just a quiet prayer in my heart. Sometimes we like stop and collectively pray. What if you just pulled your phone out right now and started setting an alarm for 10.02 a.m. every morning? Reminding you to pray Luke 10 to over your city and over your campus. I'm going to be honest. I started praying Luke 10.2 for this city before we moved here. A lot of you 
Every one of you who's a part of Oaks, who's a part of this mission, you're an answer to those prayers that I started praying before I moved here. You're an answer to that Luke 10, 2 prayer. I got it, you're calling me to go. This is not something I'm gonna be able to tackle by myself. So would you send laborers into the harvest with me and my wife, my family? You're the answer to those prayers. I don't know who we're gonna be praying for next. Some of you walked in for the first time this morning. You're not engaged in the mission. It's kind of floating around. You wanna be engaged. We've been praying Luke 10, 2 for you. I didn't know it was you. Why don't you join us in the mission? We're not just praying for our city, we're praying for the nations. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're praying for people to go into the harvest out of our church. To plant more churches across the southeast through our network as we're trying to plant more churches to do this exact same work. We're praying for people to go to the nations and make that a the, the permanent calling. Like if God permanently calls people to the mission field, that they would go. Pray for short-term people, like college students, to spend a summer, at least one of their summers, going to a, a world city or a, a nation. Make the name of Jesus known. And he's sending you, isn't he? 21, 22, last semester. A lot more than that this, our last year. There's a lot more than that this year. I don't know what we're going to do in five, 10 years from now. It's going to be nuts. Are you praying for laborers in the harvest? Passage continues. 72 return. We're going to skip that middle part because that's everything we talked about in, in Luke chapter 9. If you want to go back and listen to that, it's on the podcast. It was in October. The 72 return in verse 17, in verse 17 they says they returned with joy. The, 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 the 72, they're, they're joyful. It says, because, Lord, even the demons are, subject, are subject to us in your name. They're excited. They're excited to see fruit. Crazy stuff's happening, right? Jesus says in verse 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He said, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. He's not talking about actual snakes and scorpions. It's the minions of the, the enemy, right? It says, over all the powers of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. It says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's important for us. That's important for us at Oaks specifically because we're getting to see God move and we're getting to see life change. We're getting to see fruit. But the thing that we rejoice in is not the evidence of faith, not the evidence of like fruit, of things happening. We're, we're gonna rejoice in that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, that's good. But the main thing is always the main thing, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. We're not seeking fruit. We're not seeking effectiveness. We're seeking him. And as we do that, we trust that the effectiveness is going to happen. The fruit's going to come. He said, yeah, this is incredible. It's, yeah, that's wonderful. But the main thing is that you are known and loved by the Father. He goes on to talk about, like, whoever knows me knows the Father. Whoever knows, like, you want to know the Father, you got to go through me. Like, there's this relationship that has transpired in these people's lives, and it's showing evidence in their life that they know him, that they're engaged with him. They don't just believe that a God exists. They're walking it out with Jesus. We can't get so excited about the fruit that we lose sight of the Savior. We don't celebrate uh, the things that we can't control. We worship the King. So as God continues to move among us, and I pray that he does, 
I pray that exponential things happen out of Oaks, out of you. We have to remind ourselves of the thing that we celebrate, the one that we worship. It's not the results of the labor because we can't control that. We can't control what people do. We can't control how people respond. We can't do anything about that. We just gaze at his face, run hard after him, making him known as we go and trust that the rest is gonna happen. Jesus celebrates the effectiveness, but he reminds them to worship the king. This morning as we prayed, you had the opportunity to do that same thing. Before you begin to pray for something else to happen, you begin to just pray and like, Lord, this is the sin in my life. This is the thing that I'm struggling with. These are the burdens that I carry. I just want to gaze at your face. I need you to do this work in me. And so then we got together and we prayed and then we started to pray for God to do something out of us. The issue was an overflow. We can't be, we can't be, can't be empty vessels and be poured out in our city and the nations. So this passage, these 72 are sent. They're called to pray for more people to go in light of the scale of the harvest. The intention was for them to go and just make known what Jesus had done in their life. And then as they come, they get to celebrate the fruit, but they get to stand in awe of what Jesus had done. They're just worshiping the Savior and King. They're not celebrating the success of a strategy. That's where I want us to be. We're a couple of more than 72 now. And every week as we read this great commission and close out our time together, as we send you out, we're sending us just like this. Recognition that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And in a year from now, when there's more of us that are engaged in the mission together, we're going to do that same thing. We're going to smell, recognize that the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. In a couple of weeks, we're going to stand some people up here and commission them as they're planning to go to the nations, go to world cities. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray Luke 10 too. And even as they go, that God calls more and more people into, his, into the mission with him. Why not you? For a long time, I prayed Luke 10.2 for those other people. I want you to know I'm praying Luke 10.2 for you. Now, listen, if you're not a believer, <laughs> if you're in the room this morning and you haven't trusted Christ, uh, I recognize that today was a little weird for you. All right. We spent a lot of time praying together. You saw people huddled up and praying. I I hope that you saw sincerity. You heard sincerity. I hope that you uttered some prayers to the Lord. Maybe you prayed, Lord, if you're there, like, show me, tell me. I'm praying that as you were here, you felt something in your heart tugging on you towards him. I think you did. My ask of you would be the same as the ask of these 72 that went out. I just want you to know what, what they went and told people. Same thing, we're out here still trying to tell people, like, like this is the same thing we found ourselves. What we found in scripture is this account that resonates deeply with our souls in a way that nothing else does. That we were created and made for have, have a relationship with the Father. And there's a God in heaven that loves us, cares for us, created us. But that the sin in our heart, the sin in our lives, separated each and every one of us from him. The sin in my life separated me from my heavenly father, the one I was made to have a relationship with. And something inside of us goes to work at trying to fix that or hide that or bury that. Like we go to work trying to deal with this distance between us and the father. It's not something you can fix. You distracting yourself from all the things that <laughs> uh, press in around you is not going to work. You're trying to find uh, release or 
redemption from all the things that you're struggling with, you ain't gonna find it in yourself. You're not gonna escape the sin in your life by doing enough good things to make up for that stuff. It's not something you can fix, it's not something I can fix. There's a punishment, there's a wrath against all of the, like all the sin in our lives that are sin in us. For God is this holy and perfect judge, can't have a relationship with something as bleak and as dark as our sin, and so we separated ourselves from, there's an eternal punishment for that. But God wasn't willing to abandon us to it, so he sent his son to leave heaven, come to earth, get between the wrath that we had earned and us. Jesus took the fullness of the wrath that you had earned on himself on the cross. Paid, for the, paid the penalty of all of your sin on the cross. Took it for you. Offered himself as a sacrifice, a substitute for you before you could have ever asked. He died, he was buried, and it looked like it was the end. But three days later, God showed his power, raising Jesus from the dead, defeating even sin, defeating death for you, raising him back to life, and he's interceding on your behalf. Like Jesus is in the presence of the Father right now, like interceding for you to come and trust him as Savior and King. He's done everything that you ever needed. He's done infinitely more than you ever deserved. He's offered all of it as a free gift. Repeatedly, Scripture talks about salvation, redemption, freedom, being a free gift offered by Jesus on the cross. How do you take a free gift? You can't go backwards and try to earn it. You just have to take it. There's nothing else to do. It's just kind of awkward. Somebody like tries to give you something for free, eventually you just have to just, uh, okay. This morning, the thing that's offered to you it's just a gift of salvation. It's a gift of forgiveness. It's just up to you to take it or not. Can't earn it. Can't make it happen. It doesn't have nothing to do with you. It's already done. Do you want to be saved or not? Do you want to be forgiven or not? Do you have a new life or not? Do you want to have purpose and significance? Like, do, you want to, do you want to know him? Do you want to know this father that has created you or not? It's absolutely available to you right there where you sit. You, all you have left to do is just say yes. That's what the 72 went walking around telling people. And then those people went walking around telling people that same thing. And the world was changed. Why not you? Austin's going to come. Band's going to come. They're going to lead us in just a time of response. And I just want that set before you. Why not you? If you're a believer in the room, like looking at the mission, like looking at the 72, the Sunday, like why not you? Are you going to pray for other people to go into the harvest or are you going to go? into your dorm, into your home, into your classroom, into your workplace. Who's going to go if it's not you? I don't want that 2,000-year lineage of disciple-making to end with me. How about, why not you? For those in the room who aren't believers yet, you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, there's nothing that you can earn. You can't dust yourself off. You can't try to, like, clean yourself up enough to, like, come to Jesus. That doesn't work. I talk to people all the time. They're like, I just need to get some stuff right in me, and then I'll be willing to have that conversation about him. And I'm like, that's the opposite of the point. The opposite of the point. The point is, like, you come humbled. You come broken. You come a mess and say, Jesus, like, I, I can't handle this anymore. I need you to heal me. I need you to... Cleanse me, I need you to fix what I've shattered. You don't, you don't get cleaned up first. So why not you this morning? A lot of these people in this room, they've come to that exact same point. Recognizing they need a savior and a king. 
trusted Jesus. Why don't you? So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna open up as, as another time for us to pray. This time about why not you? We've prayed about our sinfulness. We've prayed over our community. We've prayed together. Now it's time to pray some prayers of action. Lord, would you give me the boldness to go? Would you give me clarity? Would you give me pathways? Would you give me the, the resource? I don't know what you need to pray. Would you praying about sending? For my friends in the room who aren't believers yet, this is an opportunity for you to pray, a prayer of faith. Put your faith in Jesus. Say, listen, I need you. If that's actually available to me, I gotta have it. Maybe you wanna take somebody with you. Go grab a friend. Say, hey, can we talk? Go slip outside somewhere and have that conversation. Ask them what it looks like to trust Jesus. Say, we're gonna go talk to our folks at Next Steps. Say, I've got some questions. Would you pray for me? Maybe you wanna grab some of the people around you and say, hey, we, we gotta get after it. God's given us two by two or two by 14 or whatever. We gotta get after it. So I'm gonna pray. I want you to take as much time as you need to pray these prayers of action. Give us how we go. Let's pray together. Father, I, um, I don't want to ever be duped into missing the point. God, we don't want to be tricked into missing the mission. We don't want to be, we don't want to be, uh, come, we don't, I don't want to come to, we don't want to come to the end of our days. And then like come to say like, well, I just, you know, I trusted Jesus and I was nice to people. I want to see fruit. Not for our sake, not to feel proud of ourselves, but for your name and for your glory. We want to be used. The Lord send us. Or send us. I pray for my friends in the room who haven't trusted you as Savior yet. I pray this morning will be the day of their salvation. They trust you right now. They'd find somebody to have a conversation with. They put their faith and trust in you right now. I know you're doing that work. So Lord, move. Senior Son's name, I pray. Amen.